Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One question I got for you, this might be, I don't know if it's an easy one to answer or not, but if you could turn back the clock and not do what you did and not end up in prison getting a, what, 23-year sentence, would you turn back the clock and, and not do what you did? Number one, no. Absolutely not. A man who called himself an avenging angel was in court today. 41-year-old Jason Vukovic is accused of violently assaulting men with a history of sexual offenses involving children. Like I remember attending a Wednesday night church service where the sermon was how to punish your children in such a fashion that creates the most pain with the least physical marks or bruising. According to charging documents, he told police he found information about his victims on the state's sex offender registry. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. This is part two of my chat with Jason Vukovic, a man who's been called the Alaskan Avenger, currently serving a sentence of 23 years in prison for the assault of three registered sex offenders a crime he says he is absolutely guilty of. Just a reminder, in these episodes there will be discussions of child abuse that many may find upsetting, so listener discretion is advised. As we know from our previous episode, Jason and his brother suffered some of the most horrendous abuse imaginable, the hands of their stepfather, a man who used the cover of God and his church to commit these abhorrent acts. Eventually, after Jason's brother runs away, stealing his mother's car, he's intercepted by police. The true nature of these crimes then become public, as Jason's brother tells the police everything that's been happening to him and his brother. Jason's stepfather is brought in front of the courts, found guilty, and handed just a three-year suspended sentence, meaning no jail time whatsoever. Not only that, Jason and his family, including his stepfather, are relocated by the church. Jason is pulled from school and made to stay at home, where he had absolutely no contact with the outside world. However, refusing to be locked in a house with his abuser, Jason soon finds a way to be out of the home more than he's in it. You then said you ran away at 15. So how many years did you still spend um, you know, with, with that man? So I believe, I believe we moved out to, it was called Wasilla, out to the valley um, when I was 12 years old, 13, turning 13. Um, and so for myself, and I'm in homeschool. Well, I don't want to be at home with this person, and I do not want to be around these people. So um, one of the things I was able to do is through the church, I met a guy who was a big game guide, um, and he had a business called Majestic Mountain Outfitters. And so 
when I turned 13, I went out for the first time and I packed moose, caribou, black bear, brown bear, mountain goat, mountain sheep, and those hunting seasons combined kept me out of the house for approximately five months of the year. Um, and then I also was able to find another one who was a fisherman, and I did long line for halibut and set net for salmon. Um, and that was another month or so um, out of the year that I did not have to be in the home. Um, so from 13 years old for another three years, um, I was able to be gone for half of the year working in remote environments. Um, and then I only had to be home around this uh, molester. And the thing is, too, um, after my first season out there packing for the big game guides, I came back and I was tough and I had muscles. I was going to say um, you would have been really sexual, strong. Yeah, exactly. The sexual part of the molestation stopped when I came back because he knew and I knew uh, that it was not going to turn out well if he continued to try to touch me. Um, however, strangely, the corporal, the physical abuse aspect of it did not. Um, and I attribute that to some of the, you know, the power of the spell where you are taught and have ground into you as a child that you need to submit to these people. And so when he tells you, you know, you're going to be punished, you just, you do it. You know what I mean? It's really strange. Yeah. Um, so the, the beatings, the beatings continued, um, but the sexual abuse stopped when I was about 13. So Jason is still living under the roof of his abuser, even if it was for just a few months of the year. As he mentioned, the sexual abuse may have stopped, but he would still receive regular beatings. Eventually, however, at the age of 15, almost 16, Jason would find young love and the opportunity to run away. Yeah, it was actually kind of a kind of a mysterious thing. I, the years I was home, I have a great work ethic. Maybe I developed it, you know, just trying to be away from him, but I developed it nonetheless. And uh, I would bag groceries at the grocery store, and do homeschool, and play drums in the church, and whatever else. But uh, there was some cute girl from the alternative school across the street from the grocery store where I bagged groceries. Um, and she smiled and flirted and batted her eyes at me. And somehow I, I would climb out my window to go hang out with her. And, and, and in the course of doing that, meeting her and telling her about my life, um, as soon as she heard about what was going on in my house, she was like, oh, my God, I have to get you out of there. You should not be near those people. Like, she was horrified. Yeah. And that was the first time, yeah, that was the first time I had heard that sort of reaction from a, from another human. And, and I didn't even know it was horrible and I should be out of there. And I was like, holy shit, you're right. I should be out of here. So she came one night and I climbed out the window, went and stayed the night at her grandparents' house with her. Um, and it was really crazy because um, we were trying to figure out where we could go or what we could do. And we were going to get on an airplane and fly to Spokane, Washington. And uh, I needed to get my driver's license or my ID to do so. Um, and I remember her two days or so later driving me back to the house. And I go there in the daytime when my stepfather was gone. And I could see a whole row of trash bags, black trash bags. It was all your seven stuff. Of them on the front porch. Yep. And they had put my stuff in the front porch in trash bags. But um, being smart people, they kept all of my identification paperwork and anything that I could use to earn a paycheck. They kept all of that. 
um, saying that they didn't want to assist in my flight with the devil, uh, uh, I think yeah. was how it was termed or how it was coined. Um, so I started my life with yeah five or six black trash bags of clothes and then zero birth certificate, zero paperwork. Even as he tries to make a break for freedom and a better life for himself, his own mother and his abuser decide to make it as difficult as they possibly can for him to leave. Luckily, however, back then, air travel wasn't as strict as it is today, and you didn't need ID in which to travel domestically on aeroplanes. So Jason and his girlfriend get themselves onto a flight and head almost 4,000 kilometres or 2,370 miles away to Spokane, Washington. Spokane, Washington, not to be confused with Washington, D.C., is located in the eastern Washington state, just a two-hour drive south from the Canadian border. Jason, at just the age of 16, would quickly find himself work. However, just as quickly as he finds it, he would lose it. Um, So we were able to get to Spokane, Washington, but I have a distinct memory. I got a job right away as a telemarketer. And mind you, I'm 16 years old. Um, And I remember working for two weeks or so, and I go to get my first paycheck. And he's holding the paycheck, and he tells me, look, I have your check here, but I cannot give it to you until you show me photo ID. I have to have this on the record. Um, And I didn't know how to produce that to myself. I'd never done it before, so I didn't know to request a birth certificate and all the steps you go through. I was clueless. Yeah. Um, So that was that moment. Um, where I became a thief and a liar. And I remember driving away from that um, encounter and I had a $500 little motorcycle. Um, And I'm not even kidding you. We had a a crappy little apartment and we were absolutely destitute at that point. We didn't even have toilet paper. Um, I used to stop by restaurants and go in their bathroom and unspool toilet paper and stick it in my motorcycle helmet and bring it home. So we had toilet paper. That's how bad it was. Um, but I remember dri- driving away from that encounter and, and thinking to myself, we have to eat. And where is there in this world where people leave their money or their stuff and go somewhere else? And then just like a horrible, blessed curse, I looked to my left and there is a health club. And I thought to myself, man, the lockers. Yeah, the locker people room, working out. There we go. And I, and I, yep, and I pulled my motorcycle in there. And I kid you not, that first day, I just walked in to the locker room. No one was at the counter, and I started opening lockers. And in one of them was a pair of jeans hanging with a wallet in it. And I remember opening that wallet, and I kid you not, there were 10 $100 bills. And I thought I was absolutely rich. Raced back to the apartment, and I threw the money in the air, and I told him, we're rich, we can eat, we can go buy stuff. And, uh... That's that's what I started doing. I started into a life of crime. I would go to health clubs and take wallets. Um, and this was back in the time of checkbooks. And I would go to the mall with a checkbook and buy stuff. Um, and that was just, man, that was the beginning of a long series of very poor choices that cost me along the way. Jason and his girlfriend were now living thousands of miles away from home with no way of supporting themselves. Which made me wonder how Jason's girlfriend's parents felt about the situation. Who's Jason on that? So this this uh, girl that you sort of left with, what was her parents' thoughts about all this? Her, 
so she came from kind of a rough and tumble family. They were mm. not church people. They were working people. Yeah. Um, and her mom always loved me. Um, and to this day, I could still call her mother. I'm sure she has the same phone number. Um, and she loved me. And, you know, we got along really great. And she just thought they were horrible people. And they definitely were in agreement that I should not be in that house. Mm. Um and, uh, you know, we just went off and started our little flawed and imperfect life together. You know, and I'll just tell you this, uh, same thing I tell everybody that, you know, uh, being a thief and a liar is not good for any reason at any time. I don't care who you are or how much you think you deserve it or should be able to do it. Nope. I'll tell you right now, it has cost me dearly in this life. Just, just the idea or notion that it was okay in any reason for any reason for me to take things that didn't belong to me. Mm. Um, not cool. <laughs> just not cool. I mean, I know now in hindsight, I should have gone to a homeless shelter. I should have gone to a youth hostel. Um, I should have gone, you know, somewhere like that. But again, I now know that I was terrified deep down subconsciously of authority or authority figures or, or any sort of institution. Um, I just didn't want to go near anything or anyone like that. So, yeah. you know, I tried to do it on my own. But doing it on his own meant stealing and committing petty thefts. The stealing from the lockers at the health clubs would continue, using stolen credit cards and writing bad checks, until, of course, it all finally catches up with Jason. Here he is on his first trip to juvenile detention. So I, uh, it's another memory, funny you should ask, that I will never forget. Yeah. So I don't remember the specifics of the arrest that day, but I do recall being 16, almost 17, in juvenile. Um, and I remember them, and I was arrested with someone else's credit card. I had a, a like a fraud charge. Mm. First time ever in my whole life being in jail or arrested, um, and I was terrified. And I remember um, a detective coming over to the juvenile and picking me up and taking me across the street to the big jail into an interview room. And we sit there, and it's very somber and dark and scary. And he lifts this big, giant file folder out from underneath the desk, bam, and sets it on the counter in between us. And boy, it is thick. And he puts his hand on top of it, and he says... I was convinced that there was a white-collar crime ring operating in Spokane, Washington. He said, I have gotten X amount of reports of stolen credit cards and bad checks and everything else. Uh, And he tells me, I can't prove this, but I think that this whole time it's been you. And he looks right at me. Um, And I mean, he was right. It was me. And, uh, I basically, um, if I recall correctly, I pled guilty to two or three felonies, okay? Now, mind you, first time I've ever been arrested and I plead guilty to three felonies, Mm. um, theft or fraud or or some combination of those things. And uh, I think I was only given 80 days in juvenile, something like that. Um, But again, it was a very strange and mysterious thing because... Uh, one of the female guards that worked there, she and her wife had a really nice home nearby. She took a liking to me and asked me if I needed somewhere to stay. And so, ironically, when I got released, I went and lived with one of the prison guards and her girlfriend. Um, they had a, an apartment, a basement apartment, 
and my girlfriend and I uh, rented out their basement apartment, and I became a house painter. I got a job as a house painter um, and sort of started my life as an adult. And actually, it was her. I give her all the credit in the world. She was the one that showed me how to go get an ID mm. and things like that on my own. So, do you remember those? What was what was those um, those eighty days in juvenile like? Was it um, was it a scary place to be? Um, for me, it was terrifying, and and mainly because now I'm far away from home. I've left my girlfriend in an apartment downtown in a strange city. Um, now I've absolutely lost everything. Um, and I remember one of the things that got me close to this female guard, I remember pacing back and forth in the cell and I was just absolutely sobbing and crying, um, devastated, had nobody to go to or nobody, you know, I was devastated, didn't know what was going to happen. And I turned around and she was just standing there looking in the window and just asked me, are you all right? Are you okay? And I thought, yeah, I'm okay. I'm all right. And, uh, after that encounter, they gave me a job as a nighttime janitor. And I remember in the juvenile, they actually had a giant pickleball court in the basement that the guards would go downstairs and play pickleball. So being the night janitor, they let me come down and play pickleball with them. Um, and I actually became fairly you know, decent at it. Um, and so some of the positive memories of was playing pickleball with the COs in the middle of the night in that juvenile. Uh, um, you know, so there was some some good to be had there, for sure. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Jason's life takes another bad turn when he's introduced to drugs for the very first time. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Ginger. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Well, as always, I want to take this opportunity to say a huge, massive thank you to each and every single one of you for listening to this show. It absolutely blows my mind how we've managed to create such a great community in such a short space of time. Our private Facebook group is open right now and home to over 2,000 OMR supporters who are chatting daily about the cases we discuss, asking questions and getting involved. So just search One Minute Remaining Podcast and join us today. Not only that, but One Minute Remaining now has a voicemail set up to take your questions, thoughts and comments. I will be regularly doing Q&A episodes moving forward. So if you have a question you'd like answered, maybe a message for one of the men and women I speak with, or just a comment, call the voicemail, leave a message, and we'll feature you in an upcoming episode. The number is in the show notes of this episode below. So you serve the 80 days, you get out, you move into this basement apartment um, and start your job as a house painter. So does your life start to sort of turn around slightly? I mean, you could say that in a sense, but you could also say, you know, that that was also my, my beginning of my life, my foray into drug use. We were heavy weed smokers. Mm-hmm. Um, ironically, the, the prison guards were also weed smokers. Um, I also believe I started snorting meth at that time. One of the, one of the house painters turned me on to the stuff at some point. Wow. Um, so that was sort of my, my introduction to using chemicals or drugs. <clears throat> um, and again, I didn't know why. I just knew that uh, when I was high, it took me away from myself um, and, and things felt peaceful or quiet. Um, and so I started doing that. And then also there was this, uh, this horrible curse of knowing how to go steal and get things that I wanted. So, I mean... I remember being laid off from that painting job after eight months or so. It became wintertime, and uh, we didn't know how to feed ourselves. Well, I got an idea. Let's go steal some credit cards and go shopping. Um, And so we drove to another state, and that's what we did. Um, You know, and and so I think the, the, the start of my life was just a projection of the beginning of my life, and it's a strange thing because... I've always had a very excellent work ethic, and I work very hard up to and including right now. I still work 50 hours a week, even in prison, at 35 cents an hour. Um, But kind of juxtaposed with that good work ethic is I never developed a career, so to speak, and I never had any stability or stayed in one place very long um, just because that you get used to that flight that flight behavior, it becomes a part of who you are. Part of your nature is to, is to pack up and leave, you know? So although Jason has a job as a house painter, he still finds himself continuing to commit petty thefts to get extra money to support himself and his girlfriend. Events of his past that he is by no means proud of. This, coupled with the drug taking, would get him in trouble many times over with authorities. Absolutely. I mean, I... I can't tell you specifically here or there. I will tell you, number one, I went to jail more often, more times for driving with no license because after, after they took my driver's license in Alaska, when they kicked me out, um, or I ran away, depending on how you see it. Um, I just, I got a, I got an ID, but I never went through the process of getting a driver's license for some time. So ironically, I mean, it would be 20 days, 30 days at a time, 40 days sitting there driving with no license. Um, 
But for sure, the credit card fraud thing was something I had learned how to do, and it was easy to do, um, but I definitely got caught here and there along the way and went to jail in Oregon, went to jail in Idaho, went to jail in Washington. Um, but these were not, excuse me, not prison stays, but they were definitely jail stays, you know? Yeah. So um, I, I just... It's just a strange thing to rationalize in hindsight because, and you know, I've, I've received a lot of heated criticism too from people that are very quick to say, you know, he's not perfect, he's a bad guy, he was a criminal or whatever. Well, number one, um, yeah, yes, absolutely correct. Again, childhood trauma, it's rocket fuel for this sort of behavior. Um, number two, my life is evidence of what happens if trauma remains unaddressed or if a person who goes through this is uneducated or doesn't have access to education. Um, because had I been able to educate myself, I would have valued myself more and I would have made choices that demonstrated that I valued myself. Um, and ultimately, that's what all of these things are indicative of, is this person doesn't give a shit about himself. He doesn't care. He's not planning for the future. He's not creating a career. He's not caring about consequences, you know. Um, and I just couldn't see it at the time. What Jason is saying about childhood trauma being the root cause for the poor decisions that he would make in future life is definitely backed up by research and studies. In fact, in the telling of a previous story of Amelia Carr, a case we discussed a few episodes ago, we were joined by an expert in the field of child trauma, Istok Stanievich, who told us about the point system and what this can mean in later life. I think with someone who's experienced so many, uh, you know, scary and really traumatic things so early in life, the more relevant thing to consider is what's called the adverse childhood experiences, mm. um, or ACEs for short. And so essentially what ACEs are, are a, it's a short list of things that if they're present in your life before the age of 18, for each one of these things that's present, um, you get like one point. Yeah, right. And the higher your score is, for lack of a better term, um, the more strongly your chances would correlate with that um, in terms of you having a higher rate of virtually every negative health and life outcome conceivable. And so what the research originally was, was um, in the late 70s, I believe, the Kaiser Permanente um, Private Health Service in the U.S. started doing an exploration into what are some of the key determinants of poor health so, like, what is it that causes people to have heart failure, to have suicide and depression, to have alcoholism, kidney failure, the list goes on and on. Mm. And after an extensive body of research, the largest of its kind ever done with over 17,000 participants, what they found was that um, these adverse childhood experiences are arguably the biggest predictor. And so, for example, someone with an ACE score of four or higher will have up to four or five times greater likelihood of virtually every conceivable negative outcome, wow. um, including you know suicide, depression, alcoholism, being a perpetrator of domestic and family violence, being the victim of domestic and family violence. Um, you know, early childhood um, traumas relate to uh, increased risk of juvenile pregnancy. Um, smoking, um, alcohol use, and so on and so forth. Actually, every bad possible thing. 
Absolutely. You're more at risk of because of what you suffered as a kid. Absolutely. Yeah. In short, the thing that's really important to note with all of this though, is that correlation is not causation. So what I mean is that there could also be additional factors that are present um, when someone's experiencing all of these ACE studies that predisposes them to having these poor outcomes as well. And there are plenty of people who have had, you know, equivalently really significant trauma backgrounds who go on to not experience a lot of these things later in life as well. Um, But what we do know is that the probability is higher for those people. So as this stock states there, just because someone does get exposed to these horrendous traumas does not always mean that they are destined to have a life filled with trauma and issues. For instance, in this very situation, Jason, of course, has a brother who also suffered the abuse of his stepfather. And from what Jason has told me, his brother is now a very successful businessman who has a great salary and travels around the globe speaking at conferences. So I asked Jason why he thought his brother's situation took such a different path to his own. Why do you think that he was able to accomplish those things whereas your path took you a completely different route? Yeah, well, so number one, isn't that wonderful? And I celebrate his success, uh, especially next to my failure. You know, number one, I support any person who succeeds in that manner um, because it is hard. It is not easy. Um, according to his own words, he, he was able, uh, he had an employer um, whose insurance covered childhood trauma, PTSD therapy, and right. he went to intensive therapy for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, at what point in his, in his um, development he was able to access that, I don't know. Um, but it was powerful enough for him in his life um, for it to have lasting healing impact, which, again, I celebrate and think is amazing. Um, The other thing, too, is I remember in in a discussion with him, one of the few, he's actually a Ph.D., so he's a doctor, okay? Um, He's a Ph.D. in in mathematics or whatever. Um, And he told me that the way he coped with the mental health issues that we dealt with um, as a result of this, for him, burying himself in educational material was what worked. That's what he did. Yeah. Um, and also, mind you, he has, I don't know how many children with I don't know how many wives. Um, so he burned through quite a few support systems right. um, getting himself to this place, yeah. you know? But uh, I'm guessing those things make the difference, and yeah. I'm sure they make all the difference, which is, again, why I'm pushing so hard, even where I sit now, to access therapy, because... Uh, you know, we were able to get me into some teletherapy, and it was extremely expensive and very difficult to do because security was blocking the number every week, believe it or not, um, to make sure I didn't get access to it. But we did it for six or seven or eight months, and it was one of a few of the most transformative processes that I've ever been through in my life. So that I mean that's that's the the that's the the whole thing is that your brother seemingly got the help that he needed, whereas that you were unable to get the help that you so desperately needed. Correct. Yeah, and I didn't even know who to ask or how to ask. I mean, you you um, especially as the younger brother, I had to develop this survivalist mentality where no, I'm good, I'm good. Is there anything wrong? Nope, I'm good. Um, and then sort of like you know. Head, head follows feet. That's just how it goes. Once, you, once you're there, uh, you're there. Um, and that's just what you tell yourself and others the whole way. 
Um, and anytime someone would bring up something about, well, I didn't want to talk about your child. Yeah, no, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to bring it up. Um, and so never talking about it, never addressing it. You have to realize what was cemented in my young mind is, number one, everyone who loves you or you love will abandon you. Number two, the people that are in charge of things and stuff and rules, they will abuse you and beat you. That's what I was taught, and that's what was ground into my consciousness. So I apparently treated all situations accordingly. So Jason and his girlfriend seemed to be in the cycle of petty theft, drug use, and Jason going in and out of jail. Until one day, she decides to return home, and Jason would meet the future mother of his children and the Bonnie to his Clyde. I will tell you this, the girl... Karina was her name, and uh, bless Karina's heart because that was super cool how she sprung me loose from an evil household, which was really great, in the middle of the night, which was super gangster in her little pickup truck. But uh, at a certain point in time, she became homesick because she was an Alaska girl, family from Alaska, and she went home to her mom and uh, ended up staying there. And then I met the mother of my kids, um, very, very soon thereafter. And I was with her for 17 years. Mm. So, um, and she actually passed away recently. So rest in peace to Hannah, but that, that became my best friend and my, she was actually my little crime partner who, you know, had her own little tricks and things that she liked to do, but she was also my best friend and the mother of my kids too. So, so, as you said, your crime partner there. So, would you were you kind of a bit of Bonnie and Clyde going on with you too? Oh my God, absolutely, with no question. Like she and I, we would be in a stolen moving truck, and we would go to a big city and get a hotel room and steal credit cards, and I would drop her off to pick out clothing and things uh, ahead of time, and then I would show up with the stolen credit cards and. She and I worked together hand in glove uh, and traveled from city to city to city. Um, also, um, we were smoking marijuana to kind of medicate our our mindsets. Um, and so I, I started cultivating that indoors in, in every place we lived. So we did that together as well. But, uh, yeah, we were definitely Bonnie and Clyde-ish. And I recall more than one instance... Uh, rolling up to her parents' house, and they lived in Butte, Montana, with a big giant U-Haul full of televisions and other stuff, and her parents looking at us like, now, what does he do for a living again? <laughs> and I can't remember what sort of story we made up, but uh, yeah, definitely. I also remember, how about this, the, the, the birth of my son. We were in Montana, and I had just finished a giant crop um, and I had some NL5 times skunk one, which is a very potent strain, and it was in full bloom, and I had harvested and had all of the colas hanging in a crawl space under the house. And my son unexpectedly arrived, and now we've got all of her family members coming to the house to see the baby. Um, and mind you, her dad is a Serbian Orthodox priest, mm -hmm. uh, a retired lieutenant naval commander chaplain, um, and I've got, you know, five pounds of fresh marijuana underneath the home. And, and I remember her grandma pulling up in the car and saying, get the kids in. There's a skunk in the neighborhood. Uh, 
and it was my house oh. freaking the whole time. Oh you know, but they were good people, bro. They were really good people, and they never said anything. And uh, they just, you know, and that was also one of my first experiences around a family that just loved their, loved their kids or loved their people. You know, yeah. you I mean you say you you pulled up in a U-hole full of you know TVs and whatnot. So you you kind of. You, you're kind of upgrading a bit from just the, you know, stealing from lockers in fitness centres to, to taking trucks with, with TVs and stuff. So, you know, that obviously your uh, criminal activity took a little bit of a, a sharp turn up, would we say? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you definitely develop skills, you know, at anything you apply yourself to, so for sure. Um, and we also started using credit cards in smarter and more... I don't know, more beneficial ways, you know, and we learned which retailers to go to and, and how to have merchandise waiting for us. And, you know, all of those sort of things, which I would never share with anyone else because I don't encourage any sort of thievery or criminal behavior by any means. Mm. But, uh, yeah, the, the stakes definitely were higher and we started doing things that, that profited us more. You know, and there and there, and the other thing too is it just it, it does something to you. It makes regular life much more difficult when you're able to just go out and take what doesn't belong to you. Um, but at the same time, you have no perspective of the consequences of that sort of behavior, i.e., higher prices for everyone else. Or imagine being the guy who comes out and you're just trying to get a quick workout in, and now your wallet is gone, and your ID is gone, and all your money is gone. And, you know, stuff like that. So I, you know, I, I hate to, to smile on that part of the story much at all because it caused a lot of trauma along the way. But um, we definitely, our, our criminal behavior went up a notch. You know, like I remember her sister got a job at a retail outlet store um, and it was getting ready to go out of business. And she told us, so I remember we went, and stole a moving truck and pulled up outside the place late one night and probably offloaded $15,000 worth of brand new clothing and wow. merchandise out, out of that store, you know, and how we didn't get caught, I don't know, but we didn't in that instance. And so was that, was that sort of a regular thing then, doing those sorts of bigger jobs? Um, I would say, yeah, you know, um, as needed. You have one minute remaining. And that wraps us up for this episode Coming up next time, before Jason would go on to become the so-called Alaskan Avenger, he would almost lose his life in the protection of an innocent young girl when he comes up against the Aryan Brotherhood. And he pulled my head forward. I had long hair at the time. And he sort of half scalped me and cut my hair off with the knife and handed it to his witch girlfriend or whatever that was standing there with him. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Produced, hosted, and created by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This show is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.